Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Jenny Mustard about her contemporary novel, OK Days. Jenny is a social media influencer with over 600,000 followers and more than 50 million views on YouTube. She was born in Sweden and now lives in London with her husband. This is a really interesting episode because I asked Jenny if she thinks her large following had any impact on her sales. And we talk a lot about social media and whether writers should worry about the size of their following. We also discuss how Jenny wrote the first draft in eight weeks, and how it took her a while to realise she was writing in the wrong genre at first. But before we hear that, here's an excerpt from OK Days. We're in the bathtub. I lie on top of Luke with my back on his stomach. The water's too hot, so I ask him to close his knees together, push me upwards. He does. Now I'm only half covered by the water, my stomach and breasts and thighs slowly cooling. This scorched back, chilled front should be manageable, an overall equilibrium. Still, I'm on edge. I hum while he thinks. The fifth element, he says. I want to turn around and interpret his face because today he sounds off. Looper, I say instead. We're playing the Bruce Willis game. His turn, and he's taking it seriously. I will likely lose, only having one more movie in stock before I run out. Twelve Monkeys. One of the 200 VHS tapes my cousin Diwa recorded from the TV when she was a kid. Some of them starting five minutes into the film, or with ad breaks every 20 minutes. Sugar Puffs, Head and Shoulders, Chiquita Banana. Each videotape with a neat title written on the spine, each in alphabetical order. Halfway submerged, and I'm still too hot. I feel my cheeks flush, a pulse in my temples. I'm wearing yesterday's makeup, and I don't think it's covering my feverish face. The foundation is only meant to last 12 hours, and I'm pushing 24. I want to look in the mirror. It's midday soon, and we're both hungover. This morning his eyes were droopy and mine puffed up. Sin City, Luke says. I let him win, even though I have 12 monkeys, because I want to get out of the tub now. Dried and dressed, I sit at the kitchen table. A small, round, antique piece by the window. Maybe mahogany. I'm no expert. This is Dewey's North London flat, and I'm only staying for the summer. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel, OK Days. Hi, Chloe. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this. So Jenny, can you start by telling us what OK Days is about? Sure. Um, so OK Days is sort of a literary fiction relationship novel. It's about Swedish woman Sam and British man Luke, who once met when they were teenagers. And then they sort of just happen to run into each other again when they're in their late 20s in London. Um, and Sam is doing like a placement for work over the summer. So they kind of embark on this super juicy, very close um, romance before Sam needs to leave again for Sweden. Yeah, there's that countdown of how many days she's got left. So you get the sense that it's only going to be a, for a short amount of time. But obviously, there's so much kind of longing and attraction between the two of them that 
you're you're hoping that it's not gonna end when she when she leaves but I was wondering what was your starting point for this story was it this romance was it a character where did it all begin so I like to think of it not as a will they won't day, but more as a should they shouldn't day. So I wanted the relationship to be a sort of relationship where the reader questions themselves if they want actually these two people to be together. Because although they have like this amazing connection, they like behave really differently in the world and they want different things. For example, um, Sam want, doesn't want to have children, but Luke does. So they have these sort of um, life uh, situations that break them apart and pull them back together um, and I think that's what the starting point was that I wanted to write a novel where the relationship is the main character um, and to come about that I started by writing maybe like 10 short stories uh, about different people trying to find voices of these two characters and from those 10 10-ish short stories I ended up using five or six for the novel. So the first short story I ever wrote was actually, actually became the first chapter of this book. Oh, wow. So did you, when you were writing these short stories, were was it Sam and Luke or was it completely different characters that you were kind of trying out scenarios and situations? They were sort of Sam and Luke from the beginning. I did feel quite comfortable with these two characters. Um, and they, I, I knew that I wanted a woman who is sort of, you know, bombastic and explosive. And she's kind of one of those people who is spontaneous and she does whatever she wants to. Um, and I wanted the male character to be much more careful, um, being in control a lot of the time and worrying more about what he should do rather than what he wants to do. And like the interplay between these two characters. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I, I will talk a little bit more about kind of how those characters develop, but I know you must have thought so deeply about the two of them and their relationship and their journey. Are they still with you now? Do you still almost picture them doing things together in your head? Um, you know, I am writing another novel. So at the moment, those characters fill up like most of my headspace, to be honest. But I do feel like I come back to Sam and Luke a lot when I see readers talking about them. And I get almost already a sort of a nostalgia because, you know, although the book just came out this summer, uh, I have been... Um, it was like three years ago that I first wrote the first draft. Um, so it's been quite a while since I came up with these characters and quite a while since I spent that much amount of time with them. Um, so it's really interesting. It's sort of like they have a second life now with readers and like how readers respond to them, which is really interesting and really scary and really flattering, like all at once. It's very odd, isn't it, when your characters go from being something in your head to almost being discussed as if they're real people by someone else I know I had that experience with my editor and I remember thinking but they're not real (laughs) why are we having this discussion (laughs) Um, but you have to obviously to to kind of interrogate your writing and to edit and to make decisions about what they're going to do next you have to treat them as if they're you know fully breathing humans so yeah it's interesting when readers get their hands on them definitely and I think that for readers, they become even more real than they do for, for me as a writer. And I know that some writers like talk about their characters as their friends and like hear their voices in their heads and that kind of thing. And that's that's I'm not that type of writer. I do definitely see them as characters that, that I've made up. Um, so that makes it even more romantic to me to hear like readers talk about them as if they know these two people as characters. Mm. So then how did you go from these short stories to developing Sam and Luke did you kind of sit there and almost kind of plan out their characters did you I mean I know that the novel is written from both the points of view was that always your intention to do that or did you ever think oh I'm just going to write it from Sam's point of view or just Luke's point of view well (laughs) clearly I'm I'm quite a boring writer in the sense that I am a planner I love to plan like spreadsheets are my best friends (laughs) so like when I had those you know, 10-ish short stories and started like seeing which ones I wanted to use. I then um, planned these two characters, like who are they? Um, what are their flaws? Um, why do they fit together and why don't they fit together? And then after I had like the two characters in mind, I just came up with, you know, 24 chapters um, where every other chapter is his chapter and every other chapter is her chapter. 
Um, and then basically I asked myself, if I have a woman with this character flaw, what's the worst thing that can happen to her? And then asking the same for him. And then I just kind of, you know, put them through it. <laughs> I mean, not the worst thing that can happen to them because I'm not, I'm not a sadist to them for sure. I like, I, I, I hold back a bit. I want them to, to still be able to be happy people by the end of it, but I definitely put them through quite a, a, a roller coaster. Mm. I mean, I think that's great advice. Was that something you'd picked up from just reading other novels or had you been kind of studying creative writing? Where did this kind of knowledge of, I don't know, how to talk to your characters come from? I have not studied uh, creative writing now, but I've, I've read a bunch of books um, about like, you know, the the like arcs and curves and all of this. Um, so I, I knew a little bit about like, I, I think especially for like script writing, like writing movies, films, like that helped helped a lot because they do those uh, books or those teachers. If you look at videos, they do really sort of break it down quite um, to a quite like simple, almost like a simplistic way. Mm. And if you have that structure in your mind, it's quite easy to play around with it and break those rules to come up with your own sort of structure. So I, I kind of looked around read a lot and then made up my own what I thought felt reasonable and exciting for me to to dig into and then I just filled up with you know I had a lot of scenes already that I wanted to play around with and I just thought which scene would go best in which um, chapter and to go back to your question about um, the the dual point of view I always knew that I wanted it to be from both of their perspective because I feel like since my aim was to write a novel about a relationship but the relationship is the most important thing I almost felt like it would be sort of you know unethical to just show this from one narrator because you know everyone who's been in a close relationship will know that like every fight will be seen from two very different perspectives and and every happy moment as well so I, I thought it really interesting to just you know really dig into um their minds and you know you see uh first you can see a um an argument from Luke's perspective and in the next chapter you will get to know what Sam, Sam thinks about the same argument um, because I didn't want anyone to be a villain here I just wanted both of them to be you know they're flawed they're messy but they're both trying to be good people. Mm. Now Sam's obviously uh, like you a Swedish woman living in London was was that a conscious choice because there's things about your lived experience you wanted to write about that we don't really see in fiction very very much like there an example is that um Sam has quite a hard time at work and is I would say bullied at work by her colleague uh for for her for, for being a, you know I guess an outsider so mm -hmm. what was that a conscious choice to make her um I guess like you uh, an immigrant in in London um I've luckily never been bullied uh, at a workplace for being Swedish. Um, but I think like about being a sort of, you know, voluntary immigrant like I am, um, there there's so many pros and cons with that that I definitely wanted to explore. Um, and one of those things that I think is like a through line throughout the novel, both from Sam's perspective, but from Luke's as well, is that feeling of being an outsider or feeling rootless or like you're kind of drifting. Uh, so for Sam, obviously, there are a bunch of quite um, obvious reasons for this. For example, being an immigrant is one of them. But for Luke, who is a British man living in London, it's much harder for him to pinpoint why he's feeling rootless or like he's drifting or like he's an outsider. So I felt like having him meet someone who is so clearly an outsider um, would be interesting to see like how he... Um, how his own view of himself and his own identity will change because of that. So... Um, I think, you know, as a writer or as a content creator in general, I think being an outsider or choosing like an alternative lifestyle will always be something that I'm curious and interested about. So um, it felt natural to me. Yeah. And one of the topics obviously you explore in the novel is male mental health. And um, I don't know how much you want to give away about Luke. Um, but one of the things he deals with is an eating disorder I wondered why that was a topic that you were kind of interested in and wanted to write about. Well, um, 
you know, so I am a, I am an influencer and, and um, specifically I'm, I'm a YouTuber and I create um, videos about like lifestyle um, um, issues. And one of the things I talk about a lot is like, you know, body image or like self-worth. And m- my audience is mainly um, female, but what I've noticed over the years is that quite a lot of men get in touch with me talking about having different types of eating disorders or issues with their body image. And I feel like the one thing that I, I've sort of gotten from them is like they feel quite lost because this isn't talked about at all and they have no one to identify with, which is so sad and obviously so um, unreasonable since this is such a big problem. So, you know, since Luke is that type of person who has like bit of control issues and he's very you know, he can, he can be quite hard on himself and he is quite careful. Um, I felt like this was just the, the the best way to sort of have like a physical illustration of what his mind, like how his mind works. And also at the same time, you know, I always want to have characters that deal with things that happen to a lot of people, but might not be so like talked about all the time in media. Because mm, that is actually a topic I don't think I've read a lot about in fiction at all. Like mm. I've, I've had, you know, occasionally seen something about it on TV, but I don't think I can't think of anything recently that's really covered. Um, obviously, male mental health, but particularly male body image, is not one of the topics that you hear about very often. Mm. And I feel the same with Sam. You know, she's a happily child-free woman, and that's also, you know, I am as well. Um, and I feel like that's never ever talked about. Like if there's a childhood woman, there's usually something wrong. There's an issue, there's a trauma or there's a, like uh, some, like a physical issue. So I just feel like that's also, like there are so many women out there who are choosing to be childhood because they want to and because it makes them happy. And I wanted a woman like that as well, just to feel like, you know, it is a love story and it is, you know sweet and sexy and all of that but I also want these two characters to feel fresh and like people that you haven't like people that you've met in real life but you haven't maybe read about as much if that makes sense yeah absolutely and I will ask you about it later but I'm wondering whether those types of characters will feature again in your work characters maybe we haven't seen before but I'm going to leave that to later and ask you later um I want to talk a little bit more about your writing because your writing is so incredibly central and particularly when you're writing about the attraction between Sam and Luke you're talking about taste and music and and smell and everything how did you create that kind of attraction and chemistry between them oh wow Chloe that's such a good question and by good I mean difficult (laughs) to answer um I think like maybe I'm gonna ask you if you agree on this but I feel like we writers, we usually have like one or two things that we do better than other things. And like some some writers will come to the page because they want, like they love plot. They love plotting and coming up with like great twists and turns. And other writers love creating characters. And some writers love, you know, creating a very rich setting. For me, it's just mood. Like I just love atmosphere. I love playing with words until I create the atmosphere that I want to create like that is why I write and I feel like you know with my other content as well like if it's photos or videos or whatever it's almost always about creating an atmosphere I want like thick juicy atmosphere that you can almost like touch and taste so how to do that like I really don't know like I I don't I don't think I can answer that like how do you I think like you say like it's a it's about the details, right? Like finding those small, almost insignificant details, but that carry so much weight when it comes to like um, creating a sense of place or an emotion. Um, Like the sound of a doorbell, like that could, you know, it sounds silly, but I think like those small things or like how sparkling water feels in your mouth, like that, it kind of plants you in that exact moment, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So. I tend to go for those like really, really tiny details that can just carry a lot of weight. 
I'm exactly the same as you. That's my favorite part of writing as well. Like I love, I love the wordy part, the kind of creating, like you say, the atmosphere. And when you find that image that's perfect and you're you're just like, oh, this is beautiful. No one don't don't take away my beautiful sentence or whatever it is. And you're <laughs> desperately hoping that some editor doesn't come along and go, we're losing that. And you think, my words, my lovely words. But yeah, I, I'm not the person that comes along with the the brilliant twist or the plot or anything. Um, I, I admire those people, but it's not me. Same, I'm the same. <laughs> <laughs> and you Although, know, I feel like um, since I wrote this book during the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, and I myself, I'm one of those readers, and I'm just attracted to like literary fiction. That's more or less the only thing I read. And I, I felt like spe- specifically during the pandemic, the world was so awful anyway, that I felt like there is so little literary fiction that actually is like quite nice to read if that makes sense like sweet and tender a lot of it is a lot of it is bleak isn't it a lot of it is quite miserable to read and yeah yeah um, and I feel like with like during that time but also now as well when the world is slowly getting back to you know being happier I still feel like I want to leave readers feeling hopeful you know even though if I even though I can deal with sad stuff in my books or in my writing I still want there to be a sense of like hope and warmth if that makes Mm -hmm. sense definitely so tell us about you as a writer then I want to know has this always been a dream of yours have you always wanted to go into a bookshop and say this is my novel I'm a novelist has that always been a dream of yours but cool, isn't it? Everyone's. <laughs> True. <laughs> is anyone who doesn't dream about this? Like, maybe, probably there are. But, you know, I'm such a big reader. Like, I've always read so much. And I think that's true for most writers, I guess. So, you know, if you if you interact so much with a medium like books, of course, one day you're thinking, you know, what if? What if that could be me? Um. So, yes, short answer, yes, I've always dreamt about being a writer. Mm. And you wrote, I mean, when I heard you say this, because I watched a couple of your videos on YouTube where you were talking about your writing and your book. And I know that obviously you have been thinking about writing and and writing behind the scenes, but you wrote this novel in eight weeks. And I'm sure there'll be some people listening in horror when I say this, but um, it, I mean, it had been a long time coming. Tell us about that experience of kind of pouring out those those words in eight weeks. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, 
first of all, first draft in eight weeks, like not the full, and then, you know, a, a million edits after that. So it, it was just the first draft. But yeah, I think it came, like writing comes, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if this sounds um, a bit stuck up, but writing comes quite easy. When it comes to like actually producing prose, it comes quite easy to me. I'm not sure why, if, you know, that's just how my brain works or if it, it's because I've been writing so much for work like as a content creator for years so like maybe I just have like a stamina now mm -hmm. or a routine that works so and also like I, I couldn't have done that if I didn't plan it like quite brutally beforehand I knew exactly how many chapters I knew what would happen in each chapter so I didn't have to worry about where I was going I could just focus on creating this specific scene that I'm writing right now and that helped me a lot like I know a lot of writers don't like to plan ahead because like they lose a bit of the magic they feel like, but I don't feel that way at all. I feel like it helps my creativity, if anything. So, you know, I had a sense of urgency. Like I wouldn't recommend writing a first draft in eight weeks. I mean, it was quite, it was quite brutalizing. My my brain was quite warm afterwards. Like it felt, it actually felt a bit hot afterwards. <laughs> but um, yeah, I felt, I felt a, an urgency. I wanted to get this book out because I wanted it to be on the shelf. Um, and I had been writing on another book beforehand that I had decided to park um, and not uh, try to publish. So because of that, I felt I was being behind, like, oh, I should already have a book out. So I really felt like I needed to hurry with this one to make sure that I got it out um, as soon as possible. So, you know, I probably could write another book in eight weeks if I really, really tried, but I never will again, that's for sure. <laughs> so this other book that you wrote then had you got it to a point where you were kind of thinking about it seriously like sending it out to agents and things yes so the the book that I wrote beforehand was actually a thriller um it was my my partner David because we create a lot together like he just came up with this idea like wouldn't it be fun to write a thriller together so we plotted the whole thing together and then I wrote it and during that time because I was writing a thriller I would read more or less only thrillers which I never do and I realized that I don't actually like reading thrillers it's just not my genre and I don't like violent things at all like I'm a sweetheart like so I just felt like you know we had this book but I'm writing in the wrong genre um and you know even though David almost had a heart attack I was like I kind of want to make sure that I'm writing in the genre that I love to read myself mm. and so that's why I was like okay, let's park this and then, you know, let me just throw myself into writing a whole other thing and do it quickly, which I did. <laughs> which was the right decision, I think. And and if your heart's not in it, then like you say, it's probably not the right genre for you because I imagine like, and I, and I think it happens to a lot of writers where particularly if you get a book contract and you've written a thriller and they say, okay, we want two more thrillers. And if you've been in that situation, it, it wouldn't have felt, write for you whereas now you have the freedom to write things that you want to read you know as a reader exactly and like I was talking to this agent about the, the thriller and he was like I want you to write one thriller each year from now on like this will be your career and I just felt whoo that's like it just doesn't feel 100% right for me like uh, how can I come up with one new thriller idea every year and like write about quite violent things when I don't like when that's not me that's not me as a person or as a reader or as a writer so it definitely was the right decision even though it was quite a hard decision to make after putting in like three years into this book so yeah that that explains why I wrote the other one so quickly mm -hmm. yeah it was almost as if it was waiting just behind the thriller going like <laughs> pick me pick me and then finally you did <laughs> Like showing my true self sort of yeah thing. <laughs> exactly and another thing I noticed that you said in, in one of your videos and I will link your YouTube channel in the show notes because um your videos are absolutely beautiful I I watch a lot of YouTube I have never seen videos as beautifully filmed as yours um oh, really? lovely. <laughs> thank you so much and it's so nice to hear you talking about writing so I think you need to make more writing videos talking about your process because I'm I, I'm just this is another reason why I started the podcast. I'm so fascinated to hear people's kind of 
writing routines, how they do it. And one of the things you said in one of your um, videos was that you like to write a whole scene in one go and, and kind of schedule enough time so that you can sit down and just concentrate on that one scene, get it written, and then kind of move on. So now that you've written a book and you're kind of working on a new one, what is your kind of preferred writing routine? I mean, you haven't written this new book in eight weeks, I think, but um, how, how do you kind of like to sit down and write and prepare yourself to write? Um, I love writing in the morning, like first thing, like not looking at my phone, like not doing it, not eating breakfast even, just like sitting down with a lot of tea and then just um, read maybe a chapter of some other book that I think is like, writing tone like has a similar tone to what I'm trying to do so I just read a few pages to get inspired and then I read like a little bit of what I wrote last time maybe a few paragraphs and then I just dive in and I write um I try to like like you said I try to finish a a whole scene in one sitting so usually I would write maybe a, a sit down at like 7 30 I start writing at eight and then I write until noon so I have like four hours where I just have that's usually enough time to finish, maybe not a whole chapter, but at least like a, a big scene. Um, because I am that type of writer that I like each scene to have like a strong beginning, middle and end. So every scene feels like an arc. Um, and if I break in the middle of that, I lose the feeling I had in the beginning, which means that I can't create as like lovely an arc as if I just do it in one sitting because it just feels, I have the rhythm in me. If, if that mm. makes sense, the rhythm of the scene kind of intact if I do it in one go. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find sometimes that the worst thing is, is when you get interrupted, when you feel like you're in that real flow state and you're in the kind of the right mood for the characters and you're right in the scene and then someone rings you or knocks on the door and disturbs you in it and then you lose it. So yeah, kind of continuing through right to the end sounds like a, a really great way to work. I wonder, I mean, I, I know content creation takes up a lot of time when you're, particularly when you're filming. How do you, do you have a kind of strict schedule as in you're going to write three days a week, you're going to write every day? Um, how do you fit that around your your day job? Um, it, it, I feel like it goes in periods. Like I have some periods where, I, where I'm very busy with the influencer stuff and I need to work on that like five days a week or seven days a week sometimes and sometimes it's common and I can write maybe three or four days a week so I um, I don't feel like I need to write every day to keep the muscle like I know some writers feel like they need to keep on writing a bit every day to just keep it fresh um but I I can take breaks I can take like you know a six month break and still come back to it and and it doesn't seem to affect me positively or negatively um maybe it's because like my day job is also creative so I, maybe that's it like my creative muscle is like kept going by that um but I try to have three days a week for writing and then I do like I said like from early morning till noon and then I like going for a long like two hour walk in the afternoon where I think about what I'm gonna write the next day that's usually where I come up with most of my my ideas um but you know when I wrote the first book I would write in the afternoons as well but that's not what I'm I'm, I'm not going to do that again because like honestly that was quite intense so now I just stick to mornings and whatever I write in the morning that's it like I don't care so much about word count or like hitting a, a any type of of um, mark that way I just I just sit write, and when it's time for lunch that's it I'm done yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, four hours is quite an intense period anyway. So I think that's that's a lot of writing. I always say to people, I can't write for longer than three hours a day because it just feels like after that point, my brain's like, nope, creativity is done. Now mm -hmm. I have to do other things. So yeah, I think I, I, I'm sure there are people that write nine to five, but I don't know who they are. <laughs> and I think like, you know, it's definitely like you say, you know, it's good to listen to that brain because you can definitely like burn out that creativity if you go too far. So yeah, I think like, you know, when your brain starts to tell you that like, you know, end of ideas for today is probably a good idea to listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. So I wondered whether you could tell us how you came to get your agent then, because obviously you were in conversation with agents about your thriller and then you decided 
that wasn't the right path for you so how did you come to get your agent that you have now um so after I finished the the first draft I was working on it with a mentor who later became a friend another author Uh, and then when I felt like I had a solid sort of second draft that I felt was good enough to show to agents I did like a short list um, maybe seven or eight names of people I wanted to reach out to uh, just by you know looking at who else they represent and feeling if I think that like they might enjoy my style and my themes um, but then I you know I, I had a podcast I have a podcast and I, I interviewed do you know Elaine Feeney, the author, Irish yeah. author? She was long listed for the Booker Prize now. Yeah. So I interviewed her for my podcast. And then after that, we sort of became friends. Um, and she asked if she could read my my draft before I sent it to agents. So she read it and like in a sitting and emailed her agent saying like, hmm, I think this might be for you. And the rest is history. Amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, because, you know, her agent is actually my dream agent. So it's just like, you know, when I knew that he was interested, that was it. Like, I didn't have to think about if that was the right choice or not. I knew instantly, like, this is the agent that I want. So it was a really, like, it, beca- like, it became quite um, an easy process that way. Um, but then, you know, obviously working on the novel afterwards and getting a publisher and everything, that was that was harder. <laughs> that was more work, for sure. Yeah. I'd love to ask you a bit about social media, because obviously you have quite a significant following. And I know that loads of writers worry about social media and whether they should be on it, whether they should have it, if, what they should do. You know, TikTok is is huge and, and, and particularly for BookTok, people are always worrying about, you know, should I be on it? And I wondered whether you think having a kind of a platform has helped you first of all helped you kind of speak about your book and be and have that kind of confidence to talk about yourself and and your process but also do you think it's had any impact on your sales and kind of I guess success um as being an author I think this is I'm really glad that you asked this question actually because it's quite complicated um so you know the simple answer is yes it does help obviously it helps like um if I can talk to a half half a million people and say oh I have a book that's coming out obviously that's gonna help sales and my publisher has told me that yes it has helped sales um that being said I don't think a pure number of followers is that important you know I have 600,000 followers or something but they're not that interested in books like I don't have like a um specifically book interested following so I think like having you know if I had 40,000 followers who were all interested in books that would be better for me in this respect um also it's not just about followers and selling your own book to your own audience it's I think you know if I if I was a new author without a following, I would, instead of trying to build my own following, I would focus more on like becoming a part of this amazing community that already exists. Like the infrastructure is already there. There are thousands of, you know, bookstagrammers and book talkers and book YouTubers who are just dying to talk about your book. So it's like, they do this day in, day out for no money, just for like the pure joy of talking about books. And I think that's like, since they are already there, they already have a huge, huge audiences and, and they just love doing this. Um, I think authors who appreciate that this is going on and authors who are grateful for the help you can get and realize that there is so much to, to gain from being a part of a very loving community. I think it's, it's much like time better spent to, you know, be friendly and nice online with like the book influencers and you know send them your book and you know be be a part of what what is already there that's what I would say is much more important how how do you feel do you feel the same yeah do you have a different it's tricky isn't it because I think I think there's a lot of misconception that uh that you can almost 
if you have, I mean, your situation is slightly different because you do have a larger following, but as you say, they're there for other reasons. It's not like you have a booktube channel where you're talking about books and then you release a book and everyone goes, oh, amazing, you know, we love you and we love your book. And you you have like a lifestyle channel, which is very different. I think if you're if you're starting out, the best thing to do if you want, if I mean, and also only be on it if you want to be on it. Like, don't feel like you have to set up social media just because you've got a book coming out because it's gonna feel forced it's gonna feel fake like the only thing you can do is be yourself um and like you say I mean interact with I've got I've had so much joy from interacting with bloggers and bookstagrammers and and uh people on booktube I, I haven't gone on tiktok I just feel like I'm too old for tiktok but um but oh, I'm <laughs> but I it's so lovely to talk because I love books like you I love books I love talking about books I want to I have so many unread books because I have seen so many recommendations and I think oh that sounds great I'll buy that um and I've made friends and I've and and I've got so many great things from it but that doesn't necessarily mean I've sold any more copies of my book but actually I've kind of got to the point where I think being involved in the community is is better than sales like it's better than knowing oh I've I've sold five books because I tweeted about it I would rather think I've made five friends or I've made five connections from being in that community and I've been fortunate enough I mean I set up the podcast because I'm nosy and I like to chat to other authors and I've met so many brilliant people through it that to me that's the best part of social media and, and that's probably more rewarding than say I don't know sell knowing that you've managed to sell a couple of books. But I think there's a there's a feeling that you have to be online, you have to be always talking about your book and trying to sell it. And actually, I think just being yourself is probably a, a better advert for your book than always going, buy my book, buy my book. I mean, also, like, you know, I enjoy it. So for me, it's mm. not like it, it's it comes quite natural to me. Yeah. But I you know, another thing about it is like, it takes a lot of time, like, yeah. you know, so being so much online all the time, it takes away from your writing. So it's like, a, it's like a balance, like, mm. you know, you, but for sure, like what you said, like, even if, even if I didn't sell any more books, I would just love being in this community anyway, because like, you get, you get such close readings as well, like such thoughtful reviews. And I would never have known how people react to my to my writing if I wasn't so involved with the community. So I think that's another really amazing reason to be there. It's just like to get those people, to see people who really love your writing and who gets you and like yeah. get in contact with them. So yeah, for sure, like for me, it's a joy, it's worth it, but it's also a lot of work for mm -hmm. sure. Absolutely. Um, I wonder whether, did your publishers, because they know you have a following, almost ask you to talk about your book on your social media or was it kind of like a expectation to talk about it was there discussions about what you should do or say or kind of produce content or were they very they were they very kind of just relaxed about the whole thing well I'm really lucky that my publisher I'm, I'm with Scepter who's an imprint of, of Hodder and I'm really lucky that Scepter, it just happens to be the best imprint in the world. Like they're so, so lovely. Everyone is so nice. And, you know, I feel like they know that this is my day job. They know that, you know, I've already built an audience and I sort of know what my own content is and how to, like, I know my audience as well. So they would never like butt in at all like they just like lead me to it let me do my thing then you know I ask them all the time if they have ideas and they do but like I never felt pressure or like they are pushing me to do more if anything they're telling me to like it's okay to slow down like you know they're they're I feel like they care about me as a person and they they, they haven't like signed with me just to get to my audience because mm -hmm. you know like we've been talking about now like I think in the past, maybe some publishers did sign with influencers because they expected like huge conversion from like, you know, YouTube to sales. But I think the industry has learned now that it's not that easy. And I think, you know, if you're not as a publisher, very excited about the book, 
you don't tend to like sign with influencers just to I mean that's my experience in a way maybe there are people who feel differently but I definitely feel like they are just grateful and happy that I do this but they've never ever like made me feel pressured or like felt like they had tried to tell me how to do things or in what way or what works best unless I ask them specifically what their opinion is so mm-hmm. yes I'm, I feel like just super lucky to be with Scepter. And if there's any author, aspiring author listening to this, wondering which imprint to go with, Scepter is the one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great sales pitch for them there. <laughs> I was wondering whether you could speak a little bit about the kind of ups and downs you've had uh, since you were signed and since you kind of have been on the publishing journey and, and what your advice would be, let's say, to the people who are being published next year how how would you suggest they kind of cope with the madness of being published well um I I would probably say maybe don't expect to cope with the madness maybe like embrace the chaos of this one like I'm I'm not a very chaotic person I love things to be organized you know I told you I love spreadsheets um but in this case I just kind of let go because I had no um I had no idea what was going to happen and in what way and how to feel about it. And, you know, it just, it was both more chaotic than I thought more stuff happened. And at the same time, there was, it was calmer than I thought and more organized in other ways. So I feel like I had no idea what to expect. Um, some things were purely stressful. A lot of things were like pure joy and just a dream come true. And I kind of just let that be both at the same time and, you know, try to enjoy it as, best as I could and I really really did enjoy it like this summer was just such a dream I feel like I still haven't really processed that it happened you know what I mean um so I think you know one solid piece of advice would probably be to not renovate your flat while you're being a debut novelist I would not recommend that um you've just done that that's why you're recommending not to do that I I did I did both at the same time like the spring and summer I early summer I did both like got a book out there and a new flat so that almost broke me in half Uh, I would I would probably rest up a bit before like if if I were to debut next year I would probably use this autumn to rest up so that I feel like I'm you know in in top shape um and with like a rested brain otherwise you know it's a once in a lifetime thing we should enjoy it like if we're lucky enough to get a book out there it's just it's okay that it feels chaotic and stressful at times. It's also a lot of fun. And I think, you know, um, for some authors, it's very overwhelming uh, and very chaotic. For other authors, much less happens than they thought they would. And that's another like mental thing to deal with. So I think maybe just having an open mind and not expect too much in any direction is a good idea. What do you think? Yeah, I think sometimes um, expectation versus reality can be quite different and mm-hmm. um I think probably we all have an idea of what it's like to be a debut author um and it can be very different and I think it's helpful to maybe speak to come and speak to the 2023 or 2022 debuts and kind of get the get the info from them because I think there's a lot in, uh, there's a lot with publishing that is confusing or or completely when you when you arrive to it, you think, oh, I didn't know this was going to happen. Um, so I think it's useful to to know people who have already gone through it, and they can say to you, oh, this is totally normal, or uh, yeah, don't worry about this. It, you'll feel better next week or whatever it is, um, because it can be hard. We spend our writing lives alone, and and I think it's useful to once we hit the publishing world to have allies and friends who who know what it's like. Definitely. And I also feel like I I don't mind being stupid. Like I ask my publishers a lot because, you know, they do this. They've done this for years and they do it every day. So sometimes I feel like if it's a job, you might not know that some things aren't super clear for the amateurs. I, I yeah. am okay with being an amateur and asking a lot of questions. I don't mind looking stupid. So I think, you know, we shouldn't be too proud and pretend that we know things that we don't know. It's better yeah. to asking like, get the idea straight from the very beginning especially when it comes to those like expectations you know how many copies I, I asked my publisher how many copies do you expect me to sell um and you know how do you expect the paperback to do and you know all of this so I have like an idea beforehand 
yeah. for me anyway that's nice I like knowing uh, I'm not sure if that's true for everyone but for me I just I, I prefer to know yeah and I think like you said for publishers they do it every day they forget that it's not common knowledge it's not something mm-hmm. we, we as writers understand or know about and they have so many meetings that we're not involved in and so yeah I think asking questions is the best bit of advice ask questions not being afraid to to ask questions and to say I don't understand this or failing that tell your agent if you don't understand because um they'll, they'll help you out as well that, that's true and also your agent is the person who is 100% on your side in every I mean they should be anyway like in every yeah. situation they will have your back so like that's the best ally you can get mm. so finally Jenny I'm really excited to hear this answer can you give us a little tease about what you're writing next I really want to know I'm not sure if I can like you know <laughs> because uh, I'm I'm out of contract I haven't sold yeah. this book to anyone no one is I don't have a deadline no one is expecting it which means that you know I I have written a first draft and I'm working on creating a second draft out of it and I'm almost done with with that so I can show it to my agent but before my agent sees it and tells me very straightforwardly what he thinks I'm not sure if this is my next novel yet like there's no way for me to know uh, I feel good about it but um I what I can say is like it's definitely in the same type of genre the same type of universe the same type of mood I haven't like I haven't written a thriller <laughs> I'm staying with the you know literary fiction relationship be you know inside people's heads kind of juicy mm-hmm. things um I've gone this time with just one narrator um Oh, which I can really recommend. That's so much easier to deal with than having two. <laughs> um, so I I cut myself some slack with this one. Uh, so it's it's a, a one narrator. It's a, a a woman, but you know everything else might change at this point. So I think I prefer like not talking more about yeah, what it's fine. about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> fine. I, I am the same. I and I know some people are as well. Very kind of superstitious almost that once you say what you're doing it suddenly breaks the magic and then you start to doubt yourself and think I don't even know if this is any good anymore so I understand that completely um I'm really looking forward to whatever you write next although I am intrigued whether one day I'm going to see your name on a thriller uh maybe a literary thriller one day I'm I'm I'm, I'm sure it's going to happen I, I can just feel like one day you're going to revisit it so um Jenny, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Chloe. This was so much fun. And can I just say, you have the best questions. I enjoyed it so much. (laughs) Thank you. It's so kind of you. That was Jenny Mustard talking about her contemporary novel, OK Days, which is out now and available to buy. And if you'd like to support this podcast, debut authors and independent bookshops, you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.